This is Red Rum, stories about the true victims of crime, Natalie Hastings. With many thanks to our guest writer for their help with this episode. Natalie and her fiancé Paul were out in Hemel Hempstead, a commuter new town 24 miles northwest of London. It was just after midnight on the 15th of January 2018. They had enjoyed themselves that evening and were happily walking towards Paul's flat through the old town district and there were a few people still around, even at this time, on their way home from the many pubs and restaurants in the area. Paul saw some friends and stopped to talk. Natalie kept walking round the corner and went to a cash machine to draw some money. A Volvo XC90 turned into the road with a driver and passenger inside. It stopped for a moment and then started to drive slowly in Natalie's direction. She glanced up, recognised the vehicle and then, unalarmed, looked back down at the screen and continued to type her PIN number into the machine so she could draw some money out. She heard the engine from the vehicle increase slightly but this time didn't look up. She just continued to type. Then, she heard what sounded like a metal on concrete thud coming from the direction of the vehicle and looked up to see that it had mounted the pavement, the pavement she was standing on. The vehicle then increased its speed and came straight towards her. She stood straight, not sure what was happening at first, before realising the car was coming at her. It was coming for her. She started to run, and out of the open driver's side window of the vehicle, the driver shouted, you're dead, and then again, you're dead, and for a final time, you're dead. The car now, travelling at speed, rapidly closed in on her. The bonnet was inches from her, but just as it was about to mow her down, she managed to jump out of its way, landing heavily on the pavement, giving her a twisted ankle. She was still standing, and she managed to start running again, but now in the opposite direction. The vehicle stopped a few feet away from her. No one got out. There was no noise from inside, only the gentle hum of the powerful engine. She needed to reason with the driver. She needed to make him understand that he didn't need to do this. She shouted towards the driver who was sitting silently and motionless inside. She needed help. Someone else to help her deal with this. And in that moment, she called out for her fiancé Paul who was just round the corner. But Paul was still chatting with friends and was completely oblivious to what was happening up to this point. He did hear Natalie this time. He heard her shout his name and so he left his friends and started walking towards her voice. The driver of the Volvo put the car into gear and accelerated swiftly from a standstill travelling away from Natalie, but then he turned the vehicle around by speeding across the central reservation of a zebra crossing until he was once again facing in her direction. During this, Natalie had started to run away, past some shops in the town. The driver revved the engine, put his foot down hard on the accelerator, and the car launched forward once again towards Natalie. She was still running and had her back to the Volvo, but she couldn't outpace the large and powerful SUV as it got closer and closer to her until it hit her hard in the back and she went down with a thud and fell underneath the wheels. The SUV kept on going, bumping over her fallen body and limbs until it had run over her and now, out of control, it carried on forwards and smashed headfirst into the office window of one of the businesses lining the street. Breaking glass, fracturing wood and collapsing metal partitions broadcast the destruction of the front of the building around the neighbourhood. 
Everyone out on the street looked around, just as the tuneless screaming of the burglar alarms on the shop fronts went off in unison. Paul had now reached the corner and turned into the street. He could make out Natalie's body laying crumpled and motionless on the ground, and the Volvo embedded in the shop front. As he looked on, the door of the Volvo opened very slowly, and the driver placed his hands on the doorframe and hauled himself out. As Paul looked up in shock, he could see that the driver had a prosthetic leg. Natalie, lying on the ground in front of the shop window, started to move. She was alive. Amazingly, after being run over by this large, heavy SUV, she was alive. She had her palms to her face and was trying to push herself up using her elbow, but after a couple of attempts, her injuries were so severe, she couldn't manage it and slumped once again to the ground, looking like she was losing consciousness, although she was calling out again and Paul started to run towards her. People on the street who had heard the loud bang and the shattering of the breaking glass were looking at the scene in stunned disbelief. Some of them had witnessed what had happened and were unable to move, paralysed by fear and shock. Now they started to run over to Natalie to see if they could help, administer first aid and call an ambulance. The driver of the Volvo, hanging onto the doorframe of his vehicle with one arm bent down, removed his prosthetic leg. As passers ran by towards Natalie to try and help, the man raised his now-detached leg and waved it above his head, aiming to hit anyone trying to get close to Natalie to help her. The passenger in the car was standing by the open passenger door looking open-mouthed at the scene, not believing what had just happened and not understanding why it had happened. One of the onlookers rushing to help Natalie turned towards the driver and shouted, quote, Did you hit her? Run her down. The driver shouted back angrily, quote, Yes, I fucking did. Then, as the chaos around Natalie continued, the driver calmly turned, reached into the Volvo, released the cover of the glove box and took out a small package in a fat white envelope and slipped it into his trouser pocket. The package was full of crack cocaine. He then fixed his prosthetic leg back on and continued to watch what was happening with a smile on his face. As Paul reached Natalie, she was able to say to Paul, he hit me, he hit me. And then she slumped back onto the road. Unsure if she was unconscious or dead, Paul looked up towards the driver who was still standing by the car. Paul shouted at him, you fucking killed her. The driver began to laugh. Hertfordshire Constabulary were called at 12.12am on Monday, January 15th, 2018 to reports of a collision in Queensway. Paramedics arrived swiftly and made an initial assessment of Natalie's serious condition before doing everything they could for her at the scene and then rushing her to hospital by ambulance. Her condition was serious and when she arrived at the hospital, treatment started immediately. It was unbelievable to the witnesses at the scene that she hadn't died there and then. This was now going to be a real fight if they were going to keep her alive, and the prospects didn't look good. As Paul stood at the scene and looked at the wrecked vehicle, he realised he recognised it. Paul realised he had travelled inside the car as a passenger. He realised he knew straight away the man hanging onto the door of the destroyed car was someone he knew. And now he also knew the reason that the man had mowed Natalie down. Paul had known Simon Whittle, the driver of the killer car, for over 40 years and Natalie had known him for about 20. 
Paul knew he had a drug habit, a £2,000 a day crack cocaine drug habit. Simon had been living with Paul until two weeks before the incident because Paul had offered him a room when Simon had found he'd needed one. At first, it was fine, with Simon and Paul coming and going from the flat as they needed to, but as time went on, things deteriorated. Simon started bringing people back to Paul's flat in Old Town at all times of the night and day, and it was thought that he was probably dealing drugs to make money. Then, two weeks before the attack on Natalie, Simon had brought two men, unknown to either Natalie or Paul, back into the flat. There were a number of other people there at the time and the two men grew more difficult and abusive as the evening went on until one of them drew a knife on one of the visitors whilst the other demanded money. They robbed them at knife point before leaving and it was at that point Paul told Simon, our friendship is falling apart and that he had to leave. Simon did not like being told to leave. He held a grudge, particularly against Natalie, and he seemed to turn bitter and vengeful. Now, out of the flat but still with a key, Simon waited until Paul and Natalie were out one day and just let himself in. He got hold of one of the chairs and threw it across the room so it splintered into many pieces. He kicked over a table, pulled down shelves, smashed the bathroom up and threw all of the plates and glasses he could find onto the floor. Once the flat was wrecked, he left. Paul guessed who had wrecked his flat as he walked back in and thought that was an end to it. Simon had got his revenge. He wouldn't see Simon again, apart from avoiding him on the street if they ever passed each other. But that wasn't the end of it. This was. Natalie lying in the street, fighting for her life, being treated by paramedics. After securing the scene and ensuring the paramedics could do their job, Police now started to gather information about what had happened, and the first person they spoke to was the driver of the Volvo, who was still standing near to his vehicle. They tested him for drugs. Simon had over 800 milligrams of a cocaine derivative per litre of blood. The specified limit for driving is just 50 milligrams. He was immediately arrested and taken into custody for questioning. There were plenty of witnesses of the incident, and the police painstakingly interviewed each, taking statements so that by the time they came to question Simon formally, it was clear that he had run Natalie down in the street. From the witness statements, it seemed an open and shut case, although at the time the police didn't know the reason why it had happened, only what had happened. Simon, though, was going to try everything he could to avoid a murder charge, so when he was first interviewed, he claimed he'd been struggling with his passenger inside the vehicle and because of that, He'd lost control, which led to the vehicle accidentally hitting Natalie. None of the witness statements made this explanation likely, and the police interviewed Simon's passenger. He had fled the scene after the crash by getting his girlfriend to pick him up, afraid of getting involved with the police and the incident. But as the enormity of what had happened dawned on him, he knew he had to speak to them, so he returned to the scene 20 minutes later to give a statement. He told the police and the prosecution later that there was nothing that he did inside the vehicle to cause it to hit that woman. Whilst Simon tried to shift the blame for what had happened onto someone else, Natalie was in intensive care fighting for her life and her condition was deteriorating. With Simon's first claim denied by his passenger and the witnesses, he changed his story. He now claimed that he'd swerved to avoid hitting a fox in the road, but 
None of the witnesses had seen any sign of a fox and none of it made sense given the route that Simon's vehicle had taken during the incident, so this was quickly discounted by police. Simon changed his story again and next claimed he hadn't been driving the vehicle at all, that it was someone else, a plainly ridiculous statement that the police were able to dismiss quickly. Having run out of excuses and facing the truth, that he had cold-bloodily driven his vehicle into Natalie with the intention of seriously injuring or killing her, Simon became angry. In the police interview room, he removed his prosthetic leg and hurled it at detention staff and started to kick and hit the wheelchair he'd been given to help him get about during his detention. Simon had lost his temper and shouted at them, I ran the fucking bitch over. After that, all he would say to police questions was no comment. By now, Natalie's condition was critical and despite doctors doing everything they could to save her, Natalie eventually died on Tuesday the 16th from multiple organ failure due to multiple pelvic injuries. She was just 41 years old. The charge was murder and Simon would consequently be additionally charged with assaulting a police officer and criminal damage to police property. The destroyed office front where Simon had carried out the murder was boarded up in the days following the incident and a slow stream of friends and family attached flowers and messages to the drain pipe on the exterior to the office. On the 17th of January, Simon was remanded in custody at Hatfield Remand Court where he was scheduled to appear at St Albans Crown Court where his trial date was set. During his trial, the prosecutor described Simon as dishonest and said he'd lied about his passenger's actions. He said, quote, He later claimed in an interview that somebody else had been driving that car. That is desperate stuff from a man with no real defence. Simon used the car as his weapon and killed Natalie as surely as if he had taken a gun and shot her or taken a knife and stabbed her. For whatever reason, Simon had taken exception to his eviction and relations between him, Paul Stanley and Natalie Hastings. End quote. All his defence counsel were able to do was to suggest that Simon's passenger, who had denied doing anything that might have distracted Simon, was unreliable as he was a hard drug user and point to the fact that Natalie was found with a dirty phone used for drug dealing. Natalie and Paul had been involved in selling drugs for Simon before they fell out two weeks before the attack, he suggested, but jurors were shown harrowing CCTV of Natalie fleeing from Simon's car shortly before her death and the evidence of what happened was clear for the jury to see. Simon Whittle was found guilty of the murder of Natalie Hastings by deliberately running her down using his vehicle. Sentencing, the judge said, quote, On the clearest of evidence, you carried out the brutal and merciless killing of Natalie Hastings. She was alone, and anyone who watched the CCTV could only feel sickness and revulsion. You pursued her, you made your intentions clear, not just by what you did, but as you hunted her down. You are, in my judgment, a callous and ruthless individual who will unleash extreme violence to anyone who crosses your path. End quote. He was told he must serve a minimum of 20 years in prison. Natalie's sister paid tribute to a woman with a heart that was made of solid gold and added, her laugh and love was infectious. Detective Constable Heidi Curlin said, quote, Simon's actions on that day are horrific. Witnesses reported him as waving his crutch to prevent people from helping Natalie. He didn't call for assistance or attempt to treat her. Instead, he simply walked away. 
I would like to thank the many witnesses who have helped police throughout the investigation to ensure that Natalie's family received justice. Natalie's family said, quote, We would like to thank those involved in bringing legal justice for Natalie. As a family, this is not our final chapter of her tragic death, but at least now we can try to endure the challenge of rebuilding our lives. She can finally rest in peace. Natalie was a beautiful soul with a big, big heart taken far too soon. To the world, she was like sunshine on a rainy day. She was the life and soul of our hearts. The sun won't shine so bright anymore without her in the world. She was an amazing daughter, sister, auntie and granddaughter. To the girl that always put others first, you'll be missed eternally, but your memory will always live on. We love you always and forever. Your family. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Red Rum. If you are enjoying the content, especially that we're bringing weekly episodes now rather than monthly, please consider leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks very much.